Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Christmas. So close. It's been lovely just celebrating Christmas the last few weeks. That's been our series. And it's been, just, I don't know, I've been really encouraged just to spend time just reminding myself about peace and about joy. And today we're going to look at hope. And as I was writing this earlier in the week, it was really rainy and nice and cool. And I thought, wow, what a blessing. I've hoped that this Christmas season won't be just a big, humid, soggy, sweaty mess. Not so sure about this morning, but. How good is God that he reminds us of his goodness and his mercy at every situation? As I was just thinking about where we've come in these last few weeks, you know, as I think about peace, for me, peace really speaks to God taking a hold of what's happened in my past, of all the turmoil and all the things that have happened, and sorting it out so that when I stop and think about my past, I think of him. And I have this sense of God's order of things. The peace deals with my past. I can have peace about my past. And when I think of joy, I think joy of, of just this moment, of this being in the present, of just enjoying, of celebrating the moment that I find myself in. The joy speaks to our very moment that we are experiencing God's goodness and his presence, that as we just stop and we are aware of him, we can experience joy. So when we come to hope, which is what I'm going to talk about today, hope for me has a really future kind of perspective on it, that it looks forward to what's happening and we can be aware of what God's plans and purposes are in what's coming before us. It draws us forward. It helps us to fix our eyes on something as we move forward. Because hope, as we think about what God has to say about hope, it's not what the world says hope is. I hope I win, I hope this happens, I hope that comes good, I hope this works out. As in, it's a roll of the dice and I'm not quite sure what'll go. I'm not quite sure how this will turn out. Godly hope is entirely different. Godly hope is the joyful expectation of God working out good for me. It's an expectation that God is working in the process, that things as they are right now, May not be right. But right now in the unseen space, God is working things out for his glory and for my good. Hope means God's plans will be a reality in my future. See, godly hope draws us through our circumstances because we know that there's definitely something better coming. We sing a song like we just did that reminds us of this beautiful and powerful picture that John gets in scripture of the world set right where Jesus is enthroned at the center of everything. And we know we can hope, we can put our trust and faith on the expectation that God is working all things. That's what we mean when we talk about hope. And as we get really close to Christmas, I've got this this feeling that um, was actually triggered in my memory about four to six weeks ago. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Four to six weeks ago, many people, maybe in the room, maybe just in our kind of 
community space were really, really stressed because exams were about to happen. Assignments were happening. Assessment was going on. School and uni, there was this, there's this, as in here at least, people were asking for exams to be supervised and asking people to proofread assignments and it's amazing who comes out of the woodwork for a quick readover of your theological essay when you're a pastor at a church. It's like, oh, could you just read my assignment real quick? And it just triggered me, like, wow, I remember studying in that, that feeling of, oh, I've just got to get through this next little while. And maybe for some of us, we've done that. We've got ourselves to the 20th of December and we're on holidays and, and everything's sorted and the shopping's done and we can just sit and relax and we've made our way through that, that big, hard, final push of the year. But maybe for some of us, we're not there yet. Maybe for some of us, we've still got another week of work ahead of us. Maybe for some of us, we've actually got a whole bunch of stuff that's not tied to the time of the year, but it's just a really big obstacle. Maybe it's joblessness. Maybe it's financial burdens. Maybe it's strain. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's just a lack of hope. Maybe it's despair and loneliness. Maybe it's brokenness. Maybe there's just all sorts of things that are stretching you to the point of breaking. It just struck me today that as we get to stop and reflect on the hope of Jesus, our hope isn't just to break even. Sometimes as I, as I think about hope, I just want to get back to just everything being, whew, we can make it. But as a good friend of mine was, was just praying and he heard from the Lord this week in this prophetic word, I feel like God wants us to know that hope doesn't just get us back to even, but hope takes us into something fresh and new. That hope actually positions us and prepares us and forms us to carry what the Lord has for us and for our city. That hope is actually the forming in us of a deeper trust and a faith in the Lord, that no matter what our circumstances are right now, when we fix our eyes on him, he draws us through. So what would it mean if we grabbed the hold of hope for this Christmas? What would it mean for those obstacles, those things in front of us, the fears and the worries and the concerns and the anxieties we have? What if? What if Christmas wasn't just another day on the calendar? but it's actually a reminder, a representation of something so much bigger, so much greater, so much more profound, so much clearer a revelation of our good Father God that's actually designed to draw us into something greater, out of hopelessness, to find ourselves in Him. So, as some of you know, I'm a giant nerd. I love history podcasts. I have a 20-something minute drive to work and home from work, so I get to listen to lots of podcasts, which is, for me, awesome. And I just found this new history podcast from the BBC, and I've been just binging it because it's really cool and funny. And it just struck me as I was driving home as I hear news of things breaking out again and borders shutting down and all sorts of stuff. You know what? Actually, none of this is new. Throughout history, there's been... There's been global pandemics, there's been outbreaks of war, there's been despotic leaders, there's been financial meltdown, there's been everything you can think of under the sun. In fact, Solomon reminded us in Ecclesiastes that there's actually nothing new under the sun. 
But this is the first time it's happened to us, right? So we can be forgiven for not coping as best we can. But as we study history, we can actually work out what's happened in the past and how people have addressed things in the past. As I listen, it's often we learn what not to do. (laughs) Well, don't do that again. Penny and I just read this really interesting book called Talking to Strangers and the history of the start of the Second World War. So many leaders from Europe went and visited Hitler and said, this seems quite reasonable and nice in the early 30s and the late 20s. No idea. No idea what was going to happen. And we often have absolutely no idea. And even with the benefit of hindsight, we have no idea. But it struck me that throughout the history of humanity, God's been working throughout the history of humanity. So it struck me, what's God been doing? Because I'll study what human history and what humans have decided to do, but I don't often stop and think about what God was doing in all of those moments. So I wonder for all of us, have we stopped and reflected on what God's done? in the past? What was his response? What was his thoughts in his heart? Because the reality is, that very first Christmas, things weren't great. In the world at large, things weren't great. And for Jesus' people, for his nation, for the Israelites, things weren't great. They were in oppression. There was a a despotic world leader who had oppressed them and held them down. There had been war for for generations. There was uncertainty. There was fear. Even if there hadn't have been, there were so many factions running in the political sphere of Israel at the time that even if there hadn't have been the Romans, there probably would have been a civil war. They couldn't sort anything out. And at every level of society, there's people fighting the Romans and sympathizing with the Romans. They're on board with the overlords and they're against them and there's people fighting everywhere. Poverty is widespread. Overcrowding is happening in most of the the cities. Where there's poverty and overcrowding, there's disease. It wasn't the best time. It wasn't a picture of the perfect setting. It was a time of darkness and despair, and a few short years after Jesus' birth, in fact, the the puppet king of Israel would would just order the murder of every child, male child under two. Outrageous and shocking, confronting at every level. If there's ever a time where hope seemed lost, where despair was all that there was to choose, it seemed like then. And God, who it seemed to have been silent for centuries, seemed to be gone. The temple where he had dwelt in the center of his people was there, but not the same. His presence wasn't there anymore. People were lost without a reference point. For some of us, as I thought through that, I thought, well, actually, my situation is pretty good, actually. (laughs) Phew. But for some of us, you may be going, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Lost and alone and oppressed and held down. So if your situation's actually pretty good, you can head out now, you're done. (laughs) Just go and celebrate the Lord Jesus. But God knows. God sees. There's been moments like this before in history. But where I want to go today is to remind us that God is a God of hope because there is always a plan. And for those who are watching, he makes it known so that there's always hope. Always hope. 
Seven centuries before Jesus is born. God knocks on the heart of this guy called Isaiah. And he starts just to reveal his heart of what his plans are to come. In another dark time of Israel's history, God says, hey, I've got a plan. He says this in Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. When everything seemed lost, God's like, hey, remember, light's going to come. See, God has a plan. You know, there's actually over 350 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. If you had eyes to see and ears to hear in the first century Israel, you knew something was coming. So I want to just pick up a few of these things and just paint a picture of a God who plans ahead, who makes promises that he will fulfill. Because I believe that if we can trust that he's done it before, he'll invite us to trust him that he'll do it again. In our context, in our time. Because he's faithful and he's consistent. That's his nature. It says in James that he's the, the father of lights. Every good thing comes from him and he is consistent. There's no shadow of turning in him. He's always going to keep doing what he's doing. So what did God promise us? What do we see? What was the hope that Israel was waiting for in that very first Christmas? Well, they were waiting for a promise of a king just like David. David was this amazing king from the golden age of Israel when everything was going so well. David finished the conquest of the land, the promised land became theirs, and he set up a dynasty of kings that would be just overwhelmingly wealthy and prosperous and influential. His son Solomon would extend Israel's borders to the the widest they ever were. David was a man after God's own heart, a worshiper, a leader, someone whose heart was soft to the Lord. He wasn't by any means a paragon of virtue. (laughs) If you read... The stories in 2 Samuel, you'll see all of his failings. And yet, God made this promise to him in 2 Samuel 7. Samuel prophesies to David, he, God, shall build a house. So he, David, shall build a house for my God, God's name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And this comes up time and time and time again in the scriptures. In the, in the note outline that you've got, there's a whole list of scriptures where we, we see prophecies of this king who's coming, this promised one from the line of David who will come and will rule and reign forever. And then when we get to the Gospels, they start, particularly Matthew and Luke, with these long genealogies, which for some of us is like, skip to chapter 2. But they remind us that Jesus is descended from David. That just like God promised, there was one coming, a king from the line of David who would sit on the throne forever. But David's family is not sitting on the throne when Jesus is born. It would be easy to miss it. Jesus isn't born in the royal courts. He's born in an animal trough, in a stable. But the angels... Say to Mary in Luke 1, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This prompts us to this... I love the way that the biblical authors take this because even that there is packed so tightly full of promises from the Old Testament. It's so kind of squished in. And this then launches us back to another passage in Isaiah, one of my absolutely most treasured passages where Isaiah is talking of this one who is to come. And out of Isaiah 9, a little bit later, he says this, a child is born to us. To us, a son is given. So there's a baby coming. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. They knew. Isaiah knew God himself, everlasting father, creator God, was going to step in, enter into this mortal world, the very realm he created, which is just absolutely staggering. It's absolutely staggering. And not only that, it says a little bit earlier in Isaiah in chapter 7, the Lord will give you a sign, he said. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Wonderful Father, Creator God, God with us, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, Yeshua, God who is salvation. God promised it, and God delivered And I think, as I think on the virgin birth, man, the miracle isn't just the virgin birth. The miracle is that the creator God of the universe decided to come as a human. However he wants to do it, he can do it however he wants. The fact that he wanted to just boggles my brain. When you've got all of that going on, why? Uh, I think Annie sung it this morning. What other king puts aside, leaves his throne and comes to be with us? That's the miracle, that in the time of darkness, God stepped in. In the time of humanity's great need, God didn't step away. When we rejected his priests and his kings and his prophets, he said, well, I'm coming. I'm stepping in. You'll have hope because I'm coming in person. And... and The fact that he suffers. Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and suffering. The fact that he came and bore our brokenness upon him, who loved us enough to call sinners friends, to call the religious establishment to repentance, to to step into the darkest and dirtiest moments and to bring life and restoration to them, where he loved his enemies to the bitter end. Man. This is God. This is the hope we have. But we shouldn't be surprised that God did this. He promised it. He spoke to our very deepest needs, our darkest moments. He promised a Savior. God promised a Savior. 
There's this guy way back in the Bible, Abraham. God calls him out of absolutely nowhere. We have no idea of who he is before this moment that God calls him out. And in Genesis chapter 12, he makes this completely outrageous promise to him. I picked you because I wanted to pick you. It's up to me, not you. And because of that, I'm going to bless everyone through you. The whole world's going to be blessed through you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. Thousands of years ago, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless everyone through you. And his great, 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 dot, 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 son is Jesus. God who saves Emmanuel. But even better than that, I think, because that's not quite the start, Genesis 12, there's still a few chapters before that, right? Even before the promise to Abraham, there's this, there's this amazing moment where we see Genesis 1 and God just speaks life and order into chaos and brings a space that he can create people in his image who will worship him, who will be intimately in relationship with him, who will see him and talk with him, who reflect his likeness and his, and his being into the world around this place that he's created for us to be in. And we decide that we can do a better job than him and it all falls apart. But in that very moment, in Genesis chapter 3, the first moment where everything goes wrong, God steps in there and reminds us that there is hope. Satan, the adversary, the snake, deceives and leads the man and the woman astray. God says, well, there's consequences for breaking relationship. But in the midst of these consequences, here's your hope. I'll put enmity between you, Satan, and this woman. This is going to be a battle between your offspring and hers. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Sounds like not much. But in the poetry of Genesis 3, this means that the offspring of the woman will crush, will break, will press down and squeeze the life out of, bruise the head of the enemy. And yeah, the son of the woman will be struck. But God knew that it wasn't going to finish there. You can kill him, but I'm going to bring him back. Nice try. At the very first time it all went wrong, at the very first moment of humanity's deepest, darkest brokenness, God said, I've got a plan. So the question I have for you today, do you know that this same God says to me and you, I have a plan? That this very Christmas, in the midst of everything, no matter whether you feel good or bad, happy or fearful, God says to you, I've got a plan. Because hope, hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive. This is what God says about you and me. These are the promises he's made because he was faithful to the promises he's made about Jesus and he said, I'm making a way for you all to be loved by me. I love what Pastor John said last week that his favorite Christmas verse is John 3, 16. That Jesus came because God loves us so much and because he doesn't want to hold our brokenness against us. He's in fact restoring us to him. This is the promise of God. This is the hope that he gives us that I'm going to take you, I'm going to bring you back to me, he says. 
When you've made a mess, I will step in and clean you up. Jesus, Emmanuel, the God who saves, the God who's with us said, I've come to bring you life. Abundant, overflowing, full of God life. Our hope this Christmas is that we can trust him, that that's his plan. So my question to you is, can you trust him? Do you trust him? If we want to really celebrate hope this Christmas, can you trust that this hope means something is definitely coming? That who you are and what he has planned for you is safe in his hands. That it's not up to the whims of a government or a bank or a disease or an army. It's not up to those things. It's actually up to Jesus. The challenge is, can we trust and hope in that? Because hope is the joyful expectation of good, that which is certain and coming. Hope is that the things right now don't seem right, but God is working in the unseen space. And in the future, his plans will be my reality. Godly hope draws us through our circumstances because there's definitely something better coming. Ask yourself this Christmas, am I convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is something good coming? That God has a plan and a purpose? Because anywhere you don't have hope, there's a really good chance that you've believed a lie. And God wants to deal with our lies. He wants us to restore us to knowing the truth of who he is. Paul writes it like this in Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. With our past dealt with and our present being aware of God's presence, will the Holy Spirit bring hope for what he's got planned? So we've... God came at Christmas to restore hope. Hope that he saves us, that he heals us, that he delivers us, that he reconciles us to him and to each other. So what do you need today? Where do you need hope? Where have you lost hope? Where is this year Where is your circumstances? Where is the enemy? Where is the brokenness of life and the the dysfunction of family? Where has hope disappeared for you this year? Where do you need God to show up for you, to be trustworthy, to be faithful, to stick to his word, to do as he's promised, to bring you life and life abundantly? For the people in darkness that comes a great light, I hope. So I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you that God's hope would take a hold of your heart. That where there's hopelessness, you would make that beautiful exchange that you would disagree with the lie that that's what you deserve. And you would hear the heart of God saying, I have hope because I came to save you and set you free. You're going to have a prayer team available. They're going to be over the side, just under the screen over to my right. 
to your left. They're going to be able to pray for anything specifically where you have lost hope. Maybe it's over a relationship or a, or, a, or a doctor's diagnosis or maybe it's over a situation with finances or work or whatever. We believe that God intervenes when there's hopelessness because he is the God who brings hope. So our prayer team would love to pray with you and stand with you and hear God's heart of truth for you. But maybe today, maybe today you're here and you've never really just decided to trust Jesus. Then maybe that first step of going, this God stuff, I'm not sure. The reality is I, I can convince you as much as I can that God is true to his word. But actually it's the Holy Spirit who does the work of telling you that he's actually real, that God's real, that Jesus is who he says he is. And so today, if you've never actually met Jesus, I want to pray for you that the Holy Spirit would just do this thing where he says, God is real. Holy Spirit is the unseen God, the God who is with us, the one that Jesus sent to be with us. Maybe you've been in church for a long time and I kind of feel like today, maybe there's some of us who have done the church thing, maybe Christmas and Easter is what we love to do. But you know what? God's actually here all year. He calls us to know him all year. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask the production team just to dim the lights a little. And if you're watching online, then wherever you are, if you just want to find a quiet space. But if the reality is you need hope this Christmas and you've never actually encountered the God of hope, Jesus, I want to encourage you to pray with me. If you're a believer, would you just come alongside me and agree and pray for those that you know need to hear this? Would you pray with me? You can just pray in your own voice, in your own heart. You don't have to pray out loud. Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm not able to find hope in my circumstances. Jesus, I'm not able to solve my own problems. But Jesus, I'm willing to trust you to solve my problems. Jesus, I'm willing to trust you with my life. So Jesus, right now, I choose to put you in charge of my life. Jesus, I let go of any other master and boss and Lord that I've served in the past, myself and others included. And I choose you. I turn from being in charge of my life myself and I turn to you. Would you come and fill my life? Would you cleanse me of my brokenness? Would you be Lord of my life? And the one who loves me beyond life itself. I put my faith in you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.